wrote um, this letter to a whole group of churches in sort of northern modern-day Turkey to help them because they were suffering and struggling in a whole load of different areas, a whole load of different persecution and problems they were facing. And he was writing to them to help them in order that they would know what it is to stand strong, know what it is to keep honouring God in difficulties. And so as we get to this last chapter, as we get to these last verses, I believe in some, in some ways these verses and what we're going to look at, um, I believe are, are like, I don't know, a real core thing that is going to be helpful for us. So whatever situation we find ourselves in, whether life is really good at the moment and you're absolutely looking forward to Christmas, or whether actually things are really tough and be quite honest, you're not looking forward to Christmas at all. I believe there's truth in what I'm going to share that will equip you and help you to stand strong and prove God in the midst of whatever circumstances you're facing at the moment. So let's read the verses, then I'll pray, and then we'll dive in. So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and as a witness of the sufferings of Christ as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you. Not for shameful gain, but eagerly. Not domineering over those in your charge, but being an example to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive an unfading crown of glory. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Now, some commentators actually reckon that a new paragraph should start halfway through verse 5. That it all sh- shouldn't all be linked together. So where it gets to the clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility, that should actually be the start of a new paragraph. And in a sense, that is the start of what I'm going to be sharing about um, this evening. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand. Sorry. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your, bro- by the bro- by your brotherhood throughout the world. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has call- called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. By Sylvanius, a faithful brother, as I regard him, I have written briefly to you, exalting and declaring that this is the true grace of God. Stand firm in it. She who is in Babylon, that is she who is in Rome, that is the church in Rome, who is likewise chosen, sends you greetings. And so does Mark, my son, Greet one another with the kiss of love. Don't worry, we won't be putting that into practice at the end of the meeting. Peace to all of you.
who are in Christ. Let's pray. Lord, I just want to ask you, would you fill me afresh of your Holy Spirit right now? I pray for fresh grace from you. I ask you, would I communicate effectively and well today? And I ask you, Lord God, would our hearts and our minds be open to you? Would we give you space in our lives to come and do whatever you want to do? Lord, I pray that as I speak, Holy Spirit, you take the words, your word, and make it live. I pray it would have freshness, I ask. We ask that in your precious name, Lord Jesus. Amen. So this evening we're going to be looking at the secret strength of humility. We're going to be looking at the strength that exists as we humble ourselves. It's it's not a natural thing. In actual fact, humility is in pretty short supply. Whether within the church or outside the church, it's not something that generally we pursue with much vigour or determination. We're happy if it pops up in occasional places, but we're not necessarily ones who will give ourselves to pursuing it. But that's the very thing that Peter encourages us to do. I think probably over the last 25 years, it is a subject that God keeps bringing me back to. I can think of one instance when I first moved out of home and I was living with two other guys um, uh, from the church in a house in Shepherd Street. I think for about three or four months, God kept taking me back to that passage in Philippians chapter 2 that we're going to look at in a few moments where it talks about counting others better than ourselves. And it was like for two or three months, I just kept coming back to this same chapter. I couldn't get away from it because although at the start I thought all the problems were with them, by the end of two or three months I came to realise that I maybe wasn't whiter than white and God was doing a work in my life um, as well. And I'll tell you a few stories of how I'm still very much a work in progress when it comes to the whole area of humility. Wayne Grudem says this, the term humility speaks of an attitude which puts others first, which thinks of the desires, needs and ideas of others as more worthy of attention than one's own. I'll read it again. Just to let it settle in, it's quite a long, long quote, but the term humility speaks of an attitude which puts others first, which thinks of the desires, needs and ideas of others as more worthy of attention than one's own. The Apostle Paul wrote quite a bit about humility himself. Um, In Philippians chapter 2, this is what he he wrote. He write. Very educated I am. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others as more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Humility is a rare commodity. In actual fact, it's quite difficult to find. And if you've been a Christian for any length of time, what you will have come to realise is you didn't become humble when you became a Christian. 
It wasn't that, that straight away, you know, you, you've said, no, Lord Jesus, I'm now following you. And suddenly, once you were maybe a bit proud and arrogant, but now you're not anymore, now suddenly you've got this imputed humbleness. I'm the most humble person in the whole world. The, the reality is probably you're no more humble after you became a Christian than you were before. That's the reality of it. You didn't change in, in, in the nature of who you are. And that's why Peter writes about it. It's why the Apostle Paul wrote about, about it. In actual fact, to be quite honest, there's a lot about humility right the way through the Bible. But Paul says in this passage in 2 Philippians, have this mind among yourselves which is yours in Christ. Humility is not so far away that you cannot grasp it. This is yours in Christ if you know him. This is something that you can work on and you can allow the grace of God to develop within you if you know Christ, if you've got the power of the Holy Spirit at work within you, if you have been united with, in, with Christ, this is possible for you. But I have found over the years that humility for me, although it is an attitude, normally gets expressed in what I say and in what I do. Humility that only stays on the inside probably isn't really humility at all. It's, it gets expressed, it gets worked out in how I talk and in what I do. About 15 years ago, I did a year's training in India. And I had the privilege of being in this sort of, um, this, this training centre with six other um, Indian guys and we ate together we did training together, we slept in the same building together, we did life. Now, although it was all about growing in Christian leadership, it wasn't always that Christian when I was there. The, the intensity of this odd English guy being mixed in with six Indian guys and then doing life together quite cl close quarters at times meant things were a little bit frayed. God worked on my character. And one of the ways that I felt prompted to express humility and love to other people, now you'll think this is really, really odd, but, but this is just one of the ways I was prompted to do it. You see, I really like my tea, cups of tea. And um, I came to the conclusion that although tea comes from India, the best teas made by PG Tips. And so I took a good solid supply of PG Tips tea bags with me when I went. And um, the other guys, they like PG Tips as well, actually. I think they preferred it uh, to their own brew. And so um, one of the ways that I expressed, I guess, or humbled myself or expressed love for them was that Early in the morning when I got up to have my time with God, I'd go through to the kitchen and I would make myself a cup of tea with my tea bags, I'll have you know. And I'd lay out all the cups and I'd put the tea bags in the cup. The problem was, you see, they had, they had one decent sized cup and all the other cups were really little. Like, you know, you just can't get a good brew in these little cups. And I felt so tempted that because they're my tea bags, 
and I'm making the jolly cup of tea, I should have the big cup. It's, it's a natural outworking of how life goes. But I knew at those rough it, roughest points when I was most frustrated with the other guys. It was at that point, I, and I know you don't think you won't see much Holy Spirit activity going on making a cup of tea. I felt a lot of Holy Spirit activity going on when I made these cups of tea. And I knew that one of the ways I expressed humility and love for others is I gave them the bigger cup of tea. And I had the little one. Now you might think that is really odd. Or you cannot associate with it. The way Kevin's smiling, he associates with it. He can, he can see where I'm coming from here. Humility gets expressed in the little things that we do. In the everyday things that we do. In the words that we say, how we serve one another, how we express devotion. It's really easy to hide what's on the inside when you're here in a place like this, isn't it? I mean, have a look around at each other. Come on. You're all lovely looking people. Now, you're still looking at me. Have a look. Just have a quick look around. And you think, look at them. Everyone here must be, you know, on a score of 1 to 10, where would you rate the person next to you? Just have a look at their faces and see how humble you are. Have they got a humble looking face? So if 10, so if 10 is really humble and 1 is very proud, where, where are you going to rate yourself? You know, how humble are you? Now, I reckon because you're good Christian folk, you wouldn't want to, appear, you wouldn't want to be overconfident in the humility stake. So none of you are going to go above a seven. But you wouldn't want to go below a three because that would be quite, you know, quite unchristian. So I reckon you've probably put yourself somewhere around there. I mean, is there anyone that thinks that they're on the humility stakes are worse than a three? No, no, okay. Any of you think you're humble enough that you're above a seven? This morning, Natalie put her hand up. She's learnt from that mistake. <laughs> but the reality of it is, reality of it is, isn't it, in, in, in our lives, most of the time we can just walk along and everything looks pretty good on the outside. I should put that laptop away if I was you, Natalie. <laughs> everything looks, uh, looks pretty good on the outside, but it's only when you start getting shaken up a bit. It's only when there start to be a few knocks, isn't it, that you see what's really on the inside, isn't it? It's through problems and arguments. It's through pressure where stuff starts to come out, isn't it? It's sort of, it's the pressure of life where, where you sort of start seeing, you know, what's on the inside as you go like that. And it's, <laughs> was that your coat? <laughs> Someone else's, that's all right. But it's, it's like that, isn't it? It's when we knock up against each other that what's on the inside splurts out. So when we're here, we think, actually, no, we're all, all good, but actually it's in everyday life. When the pressure's on, we find that what's really on the inside starts to come out of us. Now, Being humble isn't about being a doormat or being weak or thinking that we're no good or useless. To be humble is to be free from pride and arrogance. It's to know that we can be peacemakers without having to fight for our rights. That we can walk humbly in the power of the Holy Spirit. Jesus was an incredible example of humility. He said, take my yoke upon you 
and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. C.S. Lewis said, humility is not thinking less of yourself, but thinking of yourself less. Pride, by contrast, is, is about being haughty and arrogant of thinking of ourselves as more important than other people. Now, if we, you know, if we say that we follow Christ, we, we're probably pretty good at hiding it because it's, it's not a good quality trait. But, but like I say, when pressure comes, when conflict comes, it spills out, it comes out the edges, it seeps out when the pressure is put on. We trust ourselves. We try to get ahead. We try to protect our status, our, our wealth, our achievements, our position. It's not so much trusting God as, as trusting me. And in different ways, we view others as being less worthy than we are. C.S. Lewis said this. No, I've already done C.S. Lewis. Tim Keller said this. Pride is the carbon monoxide of sin. It silently and slowly kills you without you even knowing. And as I said, the thing is we don't get automatically humble when we come to know Christ. It's something by the grace of God we need to work on. Pride isn't far away. Let me just tell you a, a quick story and then I just want to get into practical lessons that Peter teaches. Just to show you that pride isn't far away. I, myself and Chloe and the boys, we went on a um, 2,000 mile road trip round France this summer which before we went seemed a good idea halfway round didn't seem quite such a good idea anyway we were five hours into a three hour journey you're a bit slow tonight but I think you're going to catch up you'll catch up I know we were five hours into a three hour journey and we came to a toll on the motorway and it was backing right up you know and I was you can imagine, I was, I was just like angelic. Do you know what I mean? All simmering nicely below the surface. Anyway, we slowly edge our way forward towards the toll, and I notice this little white hatchback sort of starting to duck in and out of the queue of traffic. I just saw him in my mirror. And anyway, for about five minutes, didn't notice much of it, but I had my eye on him. I knew... I knew where he was coming. I knew what he was trying to do. And it got to the point where we were about four cars out from the toll when we were nose to nose. He'd crept up on the left-hand side. I hadn't quite seen him. And I could tell from his... I, to be honest, I didn't like him. I'd seen enough of him to know that I did not like him. He, he was all laid back in his French sort of style with his sunglasses on. He was so laid back in the driving seat, he could hardly see over the steering wheel. I'm not certain he knew really what was going on. But he didn't look at me. He didn't even, he didn't do the courtesy of even to look at me, ask permission. He just edged. And every time the car in front moved forward, we both went for it. And we were getting closer and closer and closer. And I was saying, I'm not letting him in. I've been queuing up for 15 minutes. This is my queue. This is where I should be. I've fought my way to this place. It's only fair I'm going for, you know, I'm going to get through before this French person. There is no way I'm, I'm going to lose my place. I have worked so hard to get here. Anyway, I'm British. I know how to queue. I'm right. 
Anyway, because for us it was a relatively new car, I came to the conclusion that although I was in the right and God was definitely in, on my side, that caution was probably better than valour. And at the last moment, biting my tongue, he, he snuck in in front of me and he gained the whole advantage of getting through the toll 60 seconds before I did, which was very unjust and wrong. But it was amazing. Pride's not very far away. You know, arrogance fighting for my position. It, it was like in my life, it's just like, you know, like the little burner in a boiler? Just burning away, waiting for the temperature just to be right, and then it flies into life and roars away. Most of the time I look nice and humble. You know, I'm a pastor, of course I'm humble. You know? No need to laugh too much, Bridget. I try. <laughs> but, you know, you, you, it's, it, you know, I've got to be humble. But when you lie in circumstances, when pressure comes... Pride springs to life. And I must admit, I'm not proud of it. Well, I would, I would have liked God to have answered my prayer because I did pray as he went through the toll in front of me. Oh, Lord, please could I see him on the side of the motorway having broken down? You know, Lord, if you know, you're on my side here. I know I'm right and he's wrong. I didn't know. Anyway, pride's not far away from any of us. So how do we deal with it? What do we do to kill off pride and allow humility to grow in our lives. Well, this passage in 1 Peter, and I know I've taken a little bit of time to set context. I will go through it in 15 minutes. These, there are six things we need to do, and there are six things we need to know if we're going to kill pride and allow humility to grow in our lives. The first thing, and we find it in verse 5, Peter says this, it's really practical, it's very obvious, it's very down to earth. He says this, church... Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility. It's like, make that decision to put humility on. I did not feel like it as I got to that toll and, and the, the little white hatchback was you know, trying to get in front of me. I didn't feel like it, but he didn't say, when I feel like it, clothe myself. He says, clothe yourself with humility, all of you. It's a moment-by-moment choice to wear humility. It's not a gift that is given by God and just imparted to us. We choose to humble ourselves. As followers of Christ, we choose to live humbly in the power of the Holy Spirit. I choose to wear it. A bit like on a cold day, Janae's going to put his coat on because he's cold. He's put it on. He's chosen to wear it. In the same way, Peter is very, very down to earth. He says, look, be humble. Choose to be humble in what you say. Choose to be humble in how you act. Those things will affect your heart towards one another. And you might say, well, why? Why? Because Peter says, this is the first thing you need to know. Did you know this? God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. This is a quote from Proverbs. Again, this isn't, this isn't about whether you know Christ or not. It's about whether you're humble or whether you're proud. So God can oppose you as a Christian if you are proud. It's like, I don't know quite what it looks like when he opposes you, but generally I would encourage you as your pastor not to do things that make God oppose you. God opposes the crowd, 
the crowd. God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. And it's as you choose to humble yourself, it's as though God opens his doors of grace into your life. As you humble yourself, you open a door and in rushes grace. In rushes a deluge of God's undeserving grace and mercy to help you in your life, to help you in that difficult situation that you would know him. It's a promise by God. It's conditional. He will oppose you if you're proud, but he will give grace to you if you humble yourself. It's very, very simple, but the reason you choose to clothe yourself with humility, although you don't want to do it, although you're certain you are right, is because there's grace available as you do so. Second thing we need to do. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God. In actual fact, when we humble ourselves, I'm not really humbling myself to the French white hatchback driver. (laughs) Thank you, Lord. I'm humbling myself under God's hand. Although in the foreground is whatever the thing is that annoys me and makes me anxious, the person that's right in my face, actually there in the foreground, in the background, is God. And I'm choosing as an act of worship to humble myself before him. It says under his mighty hand. Sometimes... I've got four boys, they're awesome boys, but on occasion they can be fairly naughty. They can be full of life, they can get carried away. And when I'm doing my job as a father well, which is on occasion, sometimes what I find works really effectively. Everyone's worried now, what's he got, he's going to... Sometimes I find all I need to do is a hand on the shoulder and I I just say, stop fighting, calm down. And it's nearly like like, like that that hand on the shoulder. It's it's, It's nearly enough to make a difference. And I wonder if in a sense that's just a helpful illustration where it says we're to humble ourselves under God's mighty hand. It's as though the Father comes alongside us when we're fighting when we're pushing for position, when we're trying to make it on our own, and the father comes along and he just puts his hand on our shoulder and he says, stop fighting. Trust me. Rely on me under his mighty hand. And as we humble ourselves, as we choose to act in humility and love, to think of others more than ourselves, we're doing it with God in mind. Why do we do it? What is it we need to know? So that at the proper time he may exalt you. Although it often doesn't feel like it, God is in control. Do you believe that? He's over every situation and every circumstance and God will raise you up at the right time as we humble ourselves. In a sense, it's a real faith statement. I'm saying it's over to you, God. I'm trusting you that you know best. And although you're making me walk through a humbling situation right now, a difficult situation where I'm tempted to fight, I'm tempted to try and get my own way, I'm tempted to push my way to the top, I'm choosing not to because I know at the right time you will raise me up. It's a faith battle. 
I believe God's got my back covered. Therefore, I can do that. Verse 7, casting all your anxieties on him. The problem is, you see, as we humble ourselves, naturally anxieties rush to the surface. As soon as I stop relying on myself and I trust God, fears and doubts rush in. But I need to cast them, I need to throw them onto God in prayer. I need to say, okay Lord, I'm worried about this and I'm worried about that, but I'm going to throw them to you. If, If I don't look after myself, who's going to care for me? If I don't fight for my position, will I get overlooked? Will I be mistreated? Will someone take advantage of me? I cast those anxieties on him. It's as though, I don't know, the picture of like nearly screwing these anxieties up and throwing them to God, saying, God, you handle it, I can't. Lord, I'm, I'm, it's a faith step. I'm making that decision as I humble myself to trust you. So in your work situation where where you feel, actually, this is the very moment I, I, I feel I, I want to react, I want to fight, I've got to push my way to the top. Maybe that isn't the right way to act. Maybe it's that moment where you need to clothe yourself with humility. Maybe in your marriage at the moment, you're really butting heads and you know you're right. You know you're right. Of course he's wrong. <laughs> it's a bloke. But at that moment, you think, no, maybe the best way. I'm going to humble myself at this moment. But the anxieties I have, which are natural, I'm going to throw them to you, Lord, because you you care for me. And that's what it says in verse 7, because he cares for you. Who will care for me? Your Father in heaven. Are you sure, Paul, I won't be overlooked? My Father in heaven, your Father in heaven, will be watching out for you. Could you be mistreated or taken advantage of? Your Father in heaven is looking out for you. You take them to him. What Santino was speaking about, the importance of knowing God as our Father, not merely as a few quaint Bible verses, but allowing it to shape us in the very core of our being is absolutely key because in a whole load of areas, if we don't understand God as our Father and live in the good of it, when we face obstacles and difficulties, we we just react in the wrong way. But there's immense security of knowing that God is our Father and he's got our back. It doesn't necessarily mean that all the circumstances we want to be changed and transformed will be, but I know I've got a loving Father who's going to care for me and look out for me, and he will cover me. He cares for you. Do you know that? He cares for you. He loves you. He says a sparrow doesn't fall to the ground without him knowing about it. How much more does he care for you? We cast our anxieties on him. And then in verse 18, sorry, verse 18, there isn't even a verse 18 in chapter 5. In verse 8, Peter slightly changes tact. The focus is coming away a little bit from God and towards an enemy that we have. He says, look, be sober-minded and be watchful. When he talks here about being watchful, he says, it's like being spiritually aware. Don't just walk through life in sort of a semi-unconscious state. Be aware of what is going on, you, going on around you. Be, be sober-minded, be watchful. 
Queensway, which is a road that goes up to the ridge, used to be a really fast road with loads of very big trucks going up and down it. On occasions when I was younger and rather stupid, I thought running up Queensway would be good half marathon training. It's generally a good idea, if, it's not a bad idea to run up Queensway, as long as you don't find you're the new sort of mascot on the front of the dust cart as it comes down. I'll tell you one thing, you're really watchful as you run up there. You're watchful of every lorry and truck. If you want to know what watchful's like, I wouldn't encourage you to do this, it's not safe, but walk up Queensway, you'll be very watchful. And I think that's a sense of what Peter has. We need to be watchful, we need to be sober-minded I think often we're not. Often we just sort of wander through life and wonder why we struggle or bad things are happening. We need to be sober-minded and watchful. Why? Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. If he can gobble you up, he will. He would be absolutely delighted to take you out. And do you know what? Pride people, proud people are a lot easier to swallow than humble ones. If humility opens the door to God's lavish grace, pride opens the door to the enemy's schemes. When I was angry with the white hatchback, I was open to all sorts of opportunities to sin and do things wrong. And I know it sort of makes you smile and think, well, hey, it's a fairly minor thing, but that's the reality of it. Minor things, big things. When we're pride, when we're fighting for position, it leads us into all sorts of temptations that are close to us when we've chosen to clothe ourselves with humility. Verse 9 says, resist him firm in your faith. You can resist temptation. You do not need to give into it. You can resist the devil's schemes. You don't have to just go along with them. He says in 1 Corinthians chapter 9 that when we are tempted, God always provides a way out for us. Now, all of us mess up and fall at times, but we don't need to. We don't need to. God has given us everything we need to follow him. It's a faith battle. Do you trust God's plans and purposes? Will you line up your life with what God says? Resist him, resist the devil, step firm in your faith. Why? Why? Knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. One of the key tactics of the enemy is to isolate and say you're on your own, you're the only one who's facing this difficulty, you're the only one facing this temptation. Hey, it doesn't really matter if you give in anyway because it doesn't have any consequence on anyone else. That's what the enemy wants to do. But Peter says, do you know that what you're facing, Janair, is the same as what Ryden is facing and Andrew is facing? And we've, we resist. Do you know why? Because actually as we resist and you get a, a testimony of God's grace in your life in that area, that, Janair, encourages Ryden and it encourages Andrew. And you think, do you know what? If Janair has won that personal battle, I can win that personal battle as well. What happens to me affects Santina and it affects Tom and it affects Graham as well. One of the most encouraging things is knowing when someone else pushes through that I can push through as well. And then in verse 10 he says this, and after you have suffered a little while, oh how I wish 
when it says a little while, it means about 10 minutes. <laughs> I don't think that's what Peter had in mind. It might be 10 minutes, it might be two months, it might be two years. For some of us, we will suffer and have to resist for all of our earthly lives. For some of us, we may not get relief from the area we are struggling in, in this life. But the reason Peter says, a little while, is because in comparison to eternity that awaits us, it really will fade into insignificance. Now, it's so easy to be a preaching point. It is so difficult when you're living in the midst of it. And as you humble yourself under God's mighty hand, he provides grace for the humble. Even just coming to terms with the fact that actually, as a Christian, we are at times called to suffer, is just a key truth to understand. If you listen to some people preaching, they they give the impression that you're not meant to have problems as a Christian. Did you know that suffering is mentioned 19 times in 1 Peter? 19 times. In 1 Peter 2.21 it says this, For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example, so that you might follow in his steps. Not popular, it's not easy. God gives grace to the humble. But this is what it says. The God of all grace who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ. How cool is this, right? Will himself. There's a personal aspect to this. He will restore. He will confirm. He will strengthen. And he will establish you. Your father in heaven cares for you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. I'd love humility to be automatic. I'd love to be able to say to you, I'm preaching on humility because I've arrived. But I can't say that. You only have to ask, actually you know I can't say that, so we don't even need to go any further. It's not automatic. It needs to be worked on. But there is a real strength in it. It's extremely attractive. It's extremely potent. It's totally countercultural. It stands out in an incredible way. Humility is absolutely amazing. For me, I'm not a man of bold words. But actually, sometimes that doesn't matter if our lives speak louder than the words. You know, if if we are humble in our lives, that will shine like stars in a bright universe. If we act differently in the staff room, if we wash up in the staff room when it isn't our turn, when we get the milk and put it in the fridge, although we do that every time and no one else seems to do it, if we clear the table at mealtimes, although no one else does that, if we give someone else the bigger cup of tea, 
if we say those kind words and keep encouraging, that humble lifestyle speaks out. Because we live in a world that so isn't like that. Philippians 2 says, Do everything without grumbling or arguing so you may become blameless and pure. I think pride is often at the root of a lot of grumbling and arguing, would you agree? So that you may become blameless and pure, children of God, without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life. Humility gets expressed in the practical, everyday words and actions of life. I want to encourage you, church, as we go into a new year, as you come to Christmas, make that decision. I'm going to clothe myself with humility because God gives grace to the humble. For some of you here today, you are in really difficult situations and you feel like you've been fighting to see it changed. I wonder if this is just a moment where you can give it over to God and say, actually, I'm going to stop fighting. I'm going to trust you, Lord. I'm going to clothe myself with humility. I'm going to allow the grace of God to rush in and help me in the midst of this problem. Why don't we stand? In some ways, this can apply to us all, I know. You know, if I said, put your hand up if you need more humility. <laughs> but if you feel you are just facing a situation actually where you, you feel God's calling you actually to humility, you're facing a difficulty or a challenge or, or maybe a dispute, and what you actually feel, as I've been speaking, you need to do is actually, you need, in a sense, to humble yourself, to think of others better than yourself. You need to... Stop fighting, but trust God. Um, just with everyone's eyes closed, just encourage you just to raise your hands. And uh, what I'm going to pray is that God's grace will rush in as you've made that, that decision to humble yourself in that situation. So if you feel, no, I, I, I need to change my attitude, I need to change how I'm dealing with this situation right now, I need to humble myself. Why don't you just raise your hands? Lord, I pray as each of these folk have made that sort of physical um, decision to humble themselves, to stop fighting, as it were, in those situations. Lord, I ask, Lord, that doors of grace will open into their lives. I pray a flood of your supernatural power, mercy, love and kindness to enter in. I ask you they will know a peace from you. I pray as they get anxious and think who's going to carry these burdens? If I'm not fighting, who's going to look after me? I ask you they would know the confirmation of your love invading their hearts. I ask you Lord that they would see a turnaround in situation. I pray for that. I pray for a dynamic turnaround as they humble themselves and look to you. They look beyond the circumstance and you behind it and say, Father, I'm humbling myself before you as an act of worship. I ask for supernatural grace, mercy and love to rush in right now. I ask for that in family situations. I ask for that in work. I ask for that in church. 
ask for that in your precious name, Lord Jesus. Amen. Actually, we're going to close it up there. If you are visiting for the first time, we'd love to buy a drink at the bar. Steve's going to be there. If you'd like to chat to anyone about anything that's been said today, I'll be at the front. Feel free to approach me. Um, If I don't see you at 10 o'clock on Christmas morning, have a great Christmas, and uh, we'll see you in the new year. Thank you.